You're listening to the One Small Bite Podcast with me, your host, David Roscoe. For over a decade, I have built a successful nutrition practice helping thousands of people thrive, nourish their life, and break the cycle of crazy diets. We will take one small bite at a time to transform your health and develop a positive relationship to food. So let's chop the diet mentality, fuel your body, and nourish your soul. Okay, are you ready? Let's do this. Hola amigos, welcome to the One Small Bite Podcast. I'm your host, David Orozco, registered dietitian nutritionist and certified intuitive eating counselor. Today, I've got an interesting topic for you and one that I think really pulls at my heartstrings. Before I get started, let me go ahead and get the disclaimer out of the way. This episode and podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. This is not a substitute for a medical, emotional, or a weight-inclusive nutrition or health consult for your specific needs. Please find a registered dietitian nutritionist or some other health professional, hopefully one that is health at every size, intuitive eating, and weight-inclusive aligned to help you with your specific needs, and one that is licensed where you live. About 20 years ago to this day, I decided to go back to school and become a nutritionist. I had no idea what I was getting into, but I knew in my heart, deep down inside, I really wanted to help others. Why? Where did that come from? Well, let me back up a little bit. In 98, I had a bad breakup, and then I decided I don't want to date anybody. I was in a bad place. I thought I was a player, and I was just not in good relationships. I needed time to figure myself out, and I did. Then I started working out a little bit more. And then I started looking into vitamin and minerals and supplements. And there was a time where I was taking about 12 different supplements in the morning and in the evening. <laughs> I was eating salmon and salads almost all the time. I was into this, the zone diet. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but that was popular, the zone diet back then. So I was like, oh, wow, this is really, really interesting. And then in 2000, my mother was diagnosed with colon cancer and diabetes. So two things were really, or three things were really pushing me in the direction. One was trying to find myself. Two was my mother's illness. And three, I really wanted to help. And so I decided, you know what, maybe I should start going back and maybe getting a degree in this certification. Or So I looked into it a little bit more and then 9-11 happened. And that was very impactful, not just for me, I know for a lot of people. But it was that moment in life where I thought, okay, if I don't do this now, then I'm going to get stuck in the same world that I'm in and I don't want to live there anymore. I looked into universities and I went to a few universities. I talked to the program directors and I went to Georgia State and I was just amazed. They had the best nutrition program there. I had no idea that I was going to become a registered dietitian nutritionist. I studied for my GRE. I took my GRE 
and I was doing great. And then I applied to the program. I got accepted into the program. I was so excited. But then at the very start of the program in 2002, it was September 2002, and I remember clearly my mother really took a turn for the worse. The other thing too is that in 2003, during my program, I remember getting the call from my dad about four in the morning. Hey, David, you need to come over. Your mom passed away. Boy, that, that was tough. That was one of those moments in life where it's a stark realization that we have a finite amount of time in this world, and boy, it's so important to take care of yourself, and not only that, but the ones that you love. Well, fast forward, graduated the program, and I continued into my practice. And I decided I'm going to do part-time work at a bariatric center. I decided I'm going to work there to get a little bit of experience before I start my own practice, because I knew I wanted to start my own practice. One of the things that was interesting was that I would see a lot of people that were either doing the surgical route or the non-surgical route. So this program, this hospital had two routes, a non-surgical and a surgical route. The non-surgical was essentially a diet program. It was a 21-week diet program that included seven weeks of liquid fasting. It was no more than five to 800 calories a day. People would be drinking five or six of these 200-calorie drinks in a day. And they would end up losing a considerable amount of weight, of course. Some wouldn't. And I didn't understand why. What was interesting, though, was that people were coming back to the program on a regular basis. A year later, there were a whole slew of people that had tried the program several years back. The same thing was happening in the surgical route. People were having the surgery, And then a few years later, they were coming back for adjustments or they were coming back for a new surgery. And I thought to myself, what the heck is going on? So I left the program thinking, I'm going to do a program that's going to be even better. I'm going to make this weight loss program that's going to be fantastic. It's going to include fitness. It's going to include one-on-one nutrition counseling. I'm going to have a physician that's going to do labs and it's going to help them with medications and their health in general, right? And it was really successful beyond my dreams. I had about 25 people enrolled in this $2,000 weight loss, comprehensive weight loss program. And I was calling it Shape Healthy. And it was amazing. And I had group classes and the fitness and I had weights and elliptical machine, a treadmill. And I was helping people do these workouts and I was doing one-on-one counseling. I was working with the physician And then little by little, people would slowly start falling off the program. And then a few months later, people come back to the program. And I thought, here I am again. Well, at that time, I was meeting on a regular basis with a few colleagues of mine. We were having these, before they were called mastermind groups, they were called peer-led groups. And so one of my friends, one of my dietitian colleagues said to me, well, David, maybe what you should do is read intuitive eating. And I said, what? Intuitive eating? What's that? Well, I read intuitive eating and I thought, holy cow, this is amazing. This really changed my life. I became a certified intuitive eating counselor. 
I tried it in my practice. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is scary. Because the only thing I knew was everything that I was trained into beforehand was very weight-centric. It was people can only get better if they lose weight. That was the idea. I drank that same Kool-Aid, the same Kool-Aid that is still going on today. And therefore, I tried changing the program a little bit and thought, maybe what I can do is get people to lose weight if they become more intuitive eating. Boy, did that fail miserably. And so in 2016, I decided that's it. I'm going to change gears, and I'm really going to commit to a weight-inclusive, weight-neutral, body-positive, intuitive eating, health-at-every-size approach. Because the research is showing that. First of all, weight loss research doesn't go beyond two years. If you find something that goes on beyond two years, you will see a huge number of people falling off the program and there's not a very big amount of weight loss. You see that people lose weight and then gain weight. It's called the hockey stick effect. You see the recidivism, people coming back and doing something else again. You also see a variation of things. People don't call it diet programs or weight loss programs. They are using other words now. The diet industry, depending on where you look, is approximately at $100 billion a year. They bank on you feeling horrible about your weight. Therefore, it really helps them when people are talking about the conventional body, the thin ideal for women and the muscular Adonis male that is so prevalent in our society. But when you look around, you put 10 people in a room, you will probably see on average 70 to 80% of them do not look like any of these fictitious models that are 20-something years old. They look like you and me. They look like they have a little bit of a tummy. They look like they have big thighs. They look like they have different shapes and sizes, tall, short, fat, skinny. It just doesn't work. Don't get me wrong. There are people that could establish a body looking like that, and good for them. If that's what they want, that's what they can do. But the reality is that the vast majority of us don't have neither the time nor the energy, much less the money, or here's the other one, the genetics, to look like that. It just It's not going to really work, especially if you tried it before and it didn't work. The single greatest predictor of weight gain is weight loss. So keep at it and you're going to see the same thing. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. But what I am talking to you today about is the idea of finding some compassion. Because one of the single greatest challenges that I see in so many people that I work with, that I talk to, is finding the courage to go against the grain. Day in, day out, every week, I get clients saying, yeah, I love your message and I love what you're saying. When am I going to lose weight? Or, okay, David, I hear it. You're talking about the long game. I get it. I get it. 
but how do I lose some weight right now? And I, I, I feel for them. So what I'd like to do is talk to you about the courage to build self-compassion. Well, what, what is self-compassion? Fundamentally, self-compassion is broken down into three main areas. Now, this comes from Kristen Neff, who wrote the book on self-compassion. These three areas include self-kindness, shared humanity, and mindfulness. Allow me to read the self-kindness definition by Kristen Neff in the book. She writes, Self-kindness, by definition, means that we stop the constant self-judgment and disparaging internal commentary that most of us have come to see as normal. It requires us to understand our foibles and failures instead of condemning them. It entails clearly seeing the extent to which we harm ourselves through relentless self-criticism and ending our internal war. But self-kindness involves more than merely stopping self-judgment. It involves actively confronting ourselves, responding just as we would to a dear friend in need. It means we allow ourselves to be emotionally moved by our own pain, stopping to say, this is really difficult right now. I think that's really, really beautifully stated. It's important to recognize that diet culture is literally telling you that you shouldn't look the way you look and you should look a different way. It is the second part of the three parts of self-compassion, and that is that shared humanity. I always tell a lot of people, including my daughter, hurt people hurt people. What you're hearing negatively from people is because they are feeling the very same fears themselves, and so it's contagious. I feel their fear, and so therefore I don't want to end up in the same place that they end up, or fearing that they will end up. This is self-kindness. Self-kindness is the ability to recognize and slow down and go, wait a minute, this isn't just me being kind to myself, this is me recognizing, recognizing that someone else is feeling the same pain. Well, then this brings us to the second part or the second element of self-compassion, and that is shared humanity. Kristen Neff writes, the second fundamental element of self-compassion is recognition of the common human experience, acknowledgments of the interconnected nature of our lives, indeed of life itself, helps us to distinguish self-compassion from mere self-acceptance or self-love. Although self-acceptance and self-love are important, they are incomplete by themselves. They leave out an essential factor, other people. Compassion is, by definition, relational. I want to go back to that in a minute. She writes, compassion literally means to suffer together, to suffer with, which implies a basic mutuality in the experience of suffering. This next part is what takes on the courage to be better, to move past that hate. I've been watching Cobra Kai on Netflix. It's a great show. I, I love Karate Kid. But, you know, I'm in season five now. And quite honestly, I'm so sick and tired of people just not making peace. 
It's like you have to fight. But of course, then if they don't fight, what's the show about, right? It's about karate. And, you know, anyway, that ability to be able to slow yourself down, pay attention to what's going on, to what you're feeling, because it is more than likely that someone else is feeling it too. I wanted to circle back to that relational piece that she mentioned a little while ago, you heard me talk about. I often mention that one of the things that we try to do at Oroska Nutrition and in this weight-inclusive, health-at-every-size, intuitive-eating approach is to build a positive relationship with food and your body. This is not by mistake. I often see the parallels in people that I work with in their lives, in the things that they do, in the relationships that they have, and in the relationship to the food that they eat. For example, they will tell themselves, I should not eat that food because that is bad for me. They might say the same thing to themselves about their body. I ate that and therefore I'm a horrible person. I'm bad. Which then only reverberates in the, I've got to lose weight, which someone else is going to hear, which therefore means the same thing to them. And you see the contagion? The relationship that we have with food in our body is important to pay attention to. And therefore, realizing that self-kindness and shared humanity, we're in this together. When we tell someone, hey, you look great for losing weight, we are also not realizing that we inferred that they didn't when they didn't. Or that they didn't look good when they were in a heavy body. But that person inside is more than just the body that they carry around. There's a soul. There's a personality. And that is not shaped by your looks unless society says it so. Therefore, there's the contagion. And so, therefore, the war with food and our body continues. It doesn't stop. We have to move and push through that. And the way we do that is through self-compassion. It takes courage to do this. Let's move to the third element of self-compassion. Kristen F. writes, the third key ingredient of self-compassion is mindfulness. Mindfulness refers to the clear seeing and non-judgmental acceptance of what's occurring in the present moment, facing up to reality, in other words. The idea is that we need to see things as they are, no more, no less, in order to respond to our current situation in the most compassionate and therefore effective manner. She continues, we can't heal what we can't feel. As mentioned earlier, we often fail to recognize feelings of guilt, defectiveness, sadness, loneliness, and so on, as moments of suffering that can be responded with compassion. She writes, The moment we see something about ourselves we don't like, our attention tends to become completely absorbed by our perceived flaws. In that moment, we don't have perspective needed to recognize the suffering caused by our feelings of imperfection, let alone to respond to them with compassion. And it's not just the pain of personal inadequacy that we need to ignore or that we tend to ignore. We are surprisingly brusque toward ourselves 
when the more general circumstances of our life go wrong through no fault of our own. This was my fear of me ending up like my mother and my father, in a fat body, dying of a chronic illness, because society has told me that if I'm in a fat body, that that's the recipe for doom. I don't then stay with it. I immediately try to fix it. I don't recognize the feeling. I don't accept the feeling. I don't understand the feeling. I need to do something about it. As a guy, we want to fix it. That means cut out food groups, eat at certain times only, go to the gym, work out really hard, keep doing it. If you don't, you're a failure. See that negative self-talk there? It's very categorical. It goes in and out of right and wrong, should, shouldn't, good, bad. And that becomes our self-identifying qualities, negating what we're actually feeling. The courage to be self-compassionate is just that. It takes courage. It requires the effort of slowing down and saying, well, okay, I see what I'm feeling. I'm feeling that nervousness and that fear that I won't be accepted, that I will look funny in front of other people, or that I will be looked at as someone lazy or not happy or inadequate or you name whatever negative personality trait comes to your mind. We need to build a more positive relationship to food and our body and the way to do that is through self-compassion. This is one of the reasons why I wrote the book. One of the things that I saw in people I was working with, by moving towards this weight-inclusive, self-compassion, health-at-every-size, intuitive-eating approach, was that people were discovering their thoughts. They were recognizing how they were talking to themselves, how they felt about themselves, how they seemed to be in relationship to other people in life. I saw people be present with it. Little by little, they started finding more self-compassion. They started recognizing the negative ways they talk. And instead of immediately trying to stop it or change it, they were with it. And it, it took a lot of work. Or it would take a lot of work. It still does with almost every client that I work with. I think about my mom. I think about my dad. I think about how hard I tried to change them, make them live longer. Instead of being more compassionate with myself and recognizing my own fears, and sometimes just being with them, not offering advice, not offering any wisdom, not trying to be this podcast host, but just be there for them. And that happens now with my daughter, with my wife. I've recognized that the pain and suffering that I had continues today. And I need to find that same compassion. Otherwise, I'm going to push my wife and my daughter further away because of the very fear and pain that I may be feeling inside. I need to offer them the space, the agency to know that they are supported, they are nurtured, that they are loved, and that I am here for them, just like I need to do the same for myself. This, again, is the other reason why I wrote this book. People 
found curiosity, compassion, and then they would commit to one small thing, and then they would just be so consistent. And little by little, they started breaking out of that diet mentality, that that way of living that was getting them to weight cycle. Yes, some of them gained weight in the process, and that was tough. That was difficult because their old voices came screaming back saying, oh my gosh, you're doing this and you're gaining weight. And then they would listen to that voice and go, okay, I probably needed to gain the weight because I'd been restricting for so long. This is one of the most difficult things that I see working with a lot of clients. It's the need to be present with that feeling instead of trying to do something about it, not to feel it. Because it hurts. It really does. I get it. I know. I get there too. But we can't see them if we're not present, if we're not mindful, if we're not there to experience what we are feeling and to recognize what is happening. This is another reason why I say food and eating is experiential. We're trying to recreate a moment in our past because we've eaten it before and you haven't eaten that food before, then you're creating a new experience. Or if that experience was negative, you might want to restrict that food and therefore you avoid it. And you tell yourself, I shouldn't eat that. This is that negative relationship that we have with food. It's because we don't pay attention to the emotion that is driving our actions. And sometimes it takes a little time to recognize that nothing is going to happen to you if you have a little bit of that food and or a little bit less of that food. Folks, I hope you don't mind me sharing a little bit of something deep here, but I think it's really, really important. One of the other things that you're going to hear is my next guest, Joe Loy. He is a health coach and a a fat person and activist for the gay community as well. I can't wait for you to listen to next week's episode because, man, we had such a great time. But one of the things that's interesting is you're going to hear how he brings in that self-compassion. It comes in subtle conversation topics that we have. Nothing prompted by me. It's the hero's journey. And that's that book. That's my book. That's what I wrote. It's the hero's journey. All right, folks. I hope you enjoyed this. I really appreciate you giving me the time and lending me your ear to give you a little bit of my experience here. Listen, I want to remind you that I have that book available on Amazon for sale. It is called One Small Bite, (laughs) Anti-Diet Stories That Help You Build a Positive Relationship with Food. Now you know why I named it that way. And this book is from the heart, from the soul, because it comes from the experience of people that I work with. I also want to let you know that we have a fantastic community that is starting October 4th. Sign up. We only have a few seats available. Don't wait because the price goes up January 2023. So get the price now, the annual plan, which by the way, gives you two months free. This is a great community of like-minded individuals that are trying to get out of that weight cycle world, dieting. They're tired of having that negative relationship with food, and we are going to have great discussions. We've already had a preliminary meeting. 
We have a great name for it coming up. I don't want to reveal it just yet. All right, stay tuned for that. You can get more information on my website, both the book and the community and our courses. Go to orozconutrition.com and look in there. You could also, by the way, make a discovery call appointment with us if you're interested to work with us. All right, folks, thanks once again. I hope you have a fantastic day, evening, week, and I look forward to bringing you some more next week. Until next time, remember, chop that diet mentality, fuel your body, and nourish your